Eco Money on Money FM 89.3. This is Eco Money on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly. Now, it seems over the past few years that countries have been rolling out net zero goals faster than you can say decarbonisation. But the clock is ticking towards these targets and it's time for action. But it's not always an easy balance, though, when it comes to progress and providing the population with what they need. According to the latest report by Bain & Company, Tomasic, Gen Zero and Amazon Web Services, governments across Southeast Asia have set climate ambitions, but not enough action has been taken to meet nationally determined contribution targets by 2030. The report highlights that Southeast Asia faces a unique set of challenges, making decarbonisation particularly difficult. Collectively, for example, the region's largest challenges are high dependency on fossil fuels and reliance on international funding. Adapting economies to change in the face of an emerging middle class that's driving energy demand while simultaneously reducing carbon emissions is an enormous task for governments and leaders in the region. According to the report, Southeast Asia will need to double down on its decarbonization efforts to achieve the dual purpose of economic growth and decarbonization. To find out more, I spoke to Dale Hartcastle, Global Head of Carbon Markets and Director of Global Sustainability Innovation Centre at Bain & Company. Dale, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Rachel. Lovely to be here. Good to have you with us. Looking through the latest report that Bain, along with your partners, has put out, what struck me is you highlight that Southeast Asia continues to grapple with competing priorities between reducing carbon emissions and development objectives such as economic growth and electricity access. There seems to be this kind of struggle between goals and action. What are some of the key issues here that you're seeing when you're seeing countries grapple with this balance? How do they tackle this? If we look at Southeast Asia as a region, uh, you know, clearly many competing constraints for any leader and, and potentially many good ones. We have a very you know, fast growing and dynamic economy. We have material sort of resource sectors there that, that still sort of contribute a lot to the economy. At the same time, a lot of jobs and other things that are sort of, you know, tied to these sectors and emerging middle classes. A lot of work that sort of needs to be done just, just to keep up with kind of, you know, where we need to go in terms of cheap primary energy and sort of other things. But at the same time, one has to overlay the really ambitious climate action that the region wants to undertake. And just to tie together those two numbers from the report, consolidating you know, what we sort of see across the region. On the one hand, Southeast Asia wants to reduce its emissions by one third you know, versus its 2019 baseline to 2030. And over the same period, we need to increase the supply and availability of sort of cheap, reliable energy by 40%. So in some ways, you need to accelerate and kind of rebuild the car at the same time as we're signed to dramatic change. And I think this, you know, really leads to a lot of competing priorities. If, if you're a minister or the leader of any of the governments across the region, clearly the climate and decarbonization are very important. But we also need to, to be able to sort of temper that with, with many sort of other things that we need to do simultaneously. And so how do you balance that? What approach do you take? I mean, how do you, as you mentioned, not be everywhere all at once, but find the right balance to achieve some steps towards decarbonization and at the same time ensure that that basic needs are being met, basic needs of the population are being met? Like, what are the opportunities that we sort of see today, which can deliver a 
positive sort of, you know, carbon impact, but are also economically in the money and can at least sort of move us forward those first few sort of kilometers on the road to net zero while we begin to think about sort of other things. Some of these things are, you know, relate to better preservation and avoiding, you know, carbon emissions from deforestation and other sort of things in the nature sector, which we, we talk about in the report. At the same time, we need to do more to unlock renewable power and the ability to, to bring more sort of green energy and to balance out coal and sort of other things. At the same time, we should also be sort of seeking to latch on to energy efficiency and other solutions which are maybe less sexy, but are no-brainers and things that you know deliver a positive sort of impact, both economically and sort of carbon in, in the short term. And I think those things help us to sort of build momentum and, and move us significantly forward while we see work between companies and governments and investors to figure out how do we sort of address harder to abate industries and things where maybe we don't necessarily have the answer yet today. And you mentioned decarbonizing nature. It's always a little bit strange to talk about, about nature as a sector. But if we look at the sources of you know carbon emissions across Southeast Asia, um, you know one of the largest comes from deforestation, changes in, in land use and agriculture and other things. The ability to address this and sort of you know slow the pace of, of those emissions, the loss of habitat and is in some ways some of the cheapest and sort of easiest emissions reduction we can do. Yes, it may be sort of complicated from a policy sort of standpoint, but it can you know really make I think an impact, particularly as we look at things that we can do today versus tomorrow. Things that don't require engineering, but rather collective will, a bit of investment in other things. Can you give me an example? The more promising you know, opportunities as we look across the region are things like the restoration of carbon-rich peatlands and sort of other things in Indonesia, or incentives mm-hmm. to kind of drive conservation and protection of forests and Irinjaya, things that are all carbon positive and, and would also help you know, generate carbon credits and other things, depending on how it went forward. There was one other statistic from the report that stood out to me, and that was that while green investment commitments have increased, actual green capital deployed has decreased. I mean, it's just marginally from 5.6 to 5.2 billion in 2022. But I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that shift? Why the slight downward trend? Rachel, great question. And we were, yeah, I think ourselves a little bit sort of surprised, right? If we look at kind of the trajectory of commitments, if we look at the trajectory of, you know, targets and, and a lot of the, the narrative and sort of dialogue, um, everything is sort of speaking to kind of moving upwards and, and onwards as we think about sort of investment. Uh, but if we actually look at kind of the amount of investment that was kind of committed on a apples to apples sort of basis for what we've done over the last sort of three years, we can see that the, the numbers were actually down in 2022. Um, and I think, you know, as we sort of, you know, talk to sort of investors and others, um, on the one hand, there's a huge amount of sort of capital that is on the sidelines that is very keen to invest in attractive opportunities around the energy transition. But at the same time, there are, I think, concerns from investors around the pace of the transition, the specificity of how countries are going to go forward, how is it going to get paid for instead of other things. And ultimately, you know, I think investors want, you know, certainty and specificity around at least directionally what does the future sort of hold, even if maybe the plans are not as sort of specific as possible. But I guess the other thing I would sort of add is I think it's easy to to kind of split hairs here as we look at, you know, 5.6.5.2 billion. At the end of the day, you know, ASEAN last year was an economy of almost $3.7 trillion. Um, and it's kind of on its way, to, you know, well on its way to, you know, four trillion in the in the near future. You know, we're sitting here sort of comparing investments in the carbon and energy sort of transition in the single digits of billion dollars versus versus an economy that's on its way to, to four trillion. Real takeaway to me is, 
is we need to get real about the fact that the level of sort of investment we're sort of talking about here is only a drop in the bucket compared to what is needed. And much more sort of investment is going to be required if we're going to, to move the needle to be able to meet 2030 targets and start to build, you know, the jobs and the industries of the future here as governments and industries sort of hope for. What are you looking out for in the year ahead? Obviously, we've got an exciting year when it comes to climate talk, COP coming up in the Middle East at the end of the year. What's on your radar? I think a few different things. I mean, you're. I think you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a pivotal year to... You know, in that it is a reporting year. And I think our first chance to really, you know, step back and look at what do we see happening across companies? What do we see happening across countries? Uh, clearly, expectations, I think, are, are very high as we look at, you know, sort of COP28 and the like as we sort of move into sort of December this year. My expectation is, you know, we'll really begin to sort of see who is is delivering and, you know, who is able to, to kind of begin to sort of move forward in, in decarbonization and sort of investment which countries are still sort of, you know, lagging behind and, you know, where is more sort of attention and focus needed? Clearly, many, many different topics on the agenda from carbon finance, the just transition to sort of other things. But I think we're all sort of, you know, quite interested to see as the final sort of agenda comes together, what are going to be, you know, the top two or three things that that really are the focus of this year's COP and the like. I've been speaking to Dale Hardcastle, Global Head of Carbon Markets and Director of Global Sustainability Innovation Center at Bain & Company, this is Eco Money on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly.